Well, hello, hello. Welcome to Black Men's, the Black Men Speak podcast. Uh, it's a podcast that highlights ordinary Black men doing extraordinary things. And I'm your host, Keith Dent. Um, you know, I know it's been a while. I think it's been about a month since I've uh, been on. But to me, it's about quality, not necessarily quantity. Um, and our guest today definitely is quality. But before we get into that, as you know, this Wednesday, um, the movie Air is going to be coming out. Um, Air, according to legend, it was about Nike kind of striking a business deal with uh, upstart Michael Jordan. Um, and the thing is that about that, that one move vaulted Nike into one of the largest recognizable brands in the world today but it also ultimately changed the sneaker game and celebrity endorsements as well now in this 10 billion dollar industry there is one thing that is often overlooked and that's the manufacturing side of it you know some of the things as i was researching for our guest today by the time a sneaker really gets to the market and sold it takes about eight to twelve months for that to happen. And our guest today is going to really change that. He has an innovative way that reduce that time to one to three months. And so, you know, the sky is the limit. And so his name is Omar Bailey. He's a co-founder of Factory Lab and it's a high tech, um, no, I'm sorry, it's located in LA and it's a high tech sneaker creation lab that has, uh, he's worked with entertainers, sports people, businessmen, and he's going to build brands through footwear. Now, Omar has built his reputation on working with stars such as Jay-Z, Kareem Benzema, Terry Crews, Questlove, who's, who I love, by the way, Alan Houston. And, you know, he's been at some top tier brands like Adidas, Supreme and Timberland, just to name a few. Now, from February 2019 to 2022, Omar was head of the Innovation Lab at Yeezy Adidas. He was helping to bridge the gap between cutting-edge conceptual designs and physically wearable footwear. And if anyone has seen Yeezys, and <laughs> when I first saw them, I was wondering, you know, you know, being an older guy, I was like, who is going to wear these things? But you see them all over. He was very instrumental in that. Omar studied industrial design at the College for Creative Studies in Detroit, uh, and he graduated from the College of Design of Architecture and Art at the University of Cincinnati. A shout out to my dad. I know he's, he'll be excited to hear that because he's everything sensey. So, Omar, welcome to the show, sir. What's up? What's up? Keith, how you happy, doing? Happy Sunday. Thank you. Happy, yeah, it's a Palm Sunday to you at that. So. Yeah. How's it doing? I, I, I want to just start here and then we'll go back a little bit. I read that, you know, Factory Lab is really, in your hope, is to democratize a sneaker pro sneaker production. Right. So what does that actually mean? Yeah. So, so, so to democratize footwear means that, you know, the, in the, in the process of developing a shoe, whether it's a sneaker or a shoe or whatnot, and bringing that into bringing that to market, um, especially if you're looking to be very creative and to push the boundary on the design and the concept itself, right? Requires, you know, in the past requires you to physically be in the factory. Um, and knowing that we don't have any shoe factories in the United States and the best place to go to when you're producing shoes at scale first option is Asia. So that's China or Vietnam, Taiwan. It's not convenient, as you can imagine, for everybody to go and do that, right? So if you're a big company, it's a lot easier. But if you're starting a brand or you're, or you're, you know, a smaller brand, it's very difficult, which is why you don't really see new companies or new shoe companies sort of, you know, really starting up that, that often is difficult. So what Factory Lab, the way we've democratized that, not necessarily democratized the production, but we democratize the development, the heavy lift. So if you, Keith, wanted to start sort of the Keith like brand of, of shoes, you know, you would have to get on the plane, go to Asia, sit in a factory, 
you'd have to know what factory to go to, right? There's all these mm. steps that have to happen. It's a, it's, it's a hard thing to do and to know if you don't come from this space. With us, we do all that heavy lifting domestically here in, in Los Angeles. Um, and that allows you to really push forward, um, push the boundaries on creation and, and really doing things that are, that are different. You know, there's a reason why when you look, when you go to a retail store, you know, pick anyone, Journeys, DSW, whatever, mm. at brands and you see, you know, across the board or at least like a good majority of them where a lot of the shoes look the same. Right. And that's that's not by accident. <laughs> the reason why that happens is because you have, you know, everyone is kind of knocking off each other or using the same inspiration. Right. Like no one's really, truly like pushing the boundaries you know, on creation from time to time you see stuff, but you really just kind of see like the same old thing, like over and over and over again, just a slightly different, you know, version of it. So, yeah. So to answer your question, democratizing means that we're doing it here locally in the States from a development standpoint, which gives you more control over the creation process, therefore allows you to come up with really more interesting designs and concepts that you could bring to real life. Then you use those concepts to inform the factory on how to scale those products and take it, you know, to market. At the end of the day, a factory just wants to produce. That's the only thing they want to do. They don't want to figure out for you, Keith, like what your concept is that you want to do. If you can come with them with an already cooked idea or with the answers to the test to, to, to kind of put simply, it's easier for them to take that and produce it exactly the way that the way that you you set it up, um, as opposed to leaning into them to try and figure it out. For you, so hopefully that hopefully that makes that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, and I'll definitely have a I have a question around that, but we'll save that. But I really wanted to know how did you get into the sneaker game or the shoe space in the first place? Oh man, yeah, this goes back. Man, I started drawing sneakers when I was seven, eight years old. You know, in the early '90s, if you if you remember, you know, speaking of Air Jordans and and Nikes, you know, when you were talking about in your um in your monologue, there was a lot of crime and violence around those shoes when they first launched in the market. Mm, right, active, absolutely frenzy. If you remember, Sports Illustrated had the cover with the gun and the Air Jordans on it, and it was like your life or your shoes, and you know that was a really that was a really crazy time i feel like that doesn't really get talked about either that much you know that was wild like when you really reflect back on that 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 moment in time and that scared the hell out of my parents you know my parents are from both of my parents are from jamaica from the islands you know they moved to this country like every like everyone else from from the caribbean or or others uh coming from other countries here for opportunity uh to try and create better opportunity for themselves and their families so like my, you know, my mom and dad were like, well, like if, you know, you're going to get hurt if we buy you these shoes, then we're not just, we're not going to buy them to you, buy them for you. So as a result, I just started sketching them and and drawing them. I realized if I couldn't have them in physical form, then having them in 2D form on paper right. was satisfactory enough for me. So like, so, you know, that was, yeah, that was really kind of how like the passion started for it. And then, uh, you know, one thing led to another. We, I was born in New York, born in the Bronx, and then we relocated to Florida when I was 10. Uh, my parents put me in an art school, and very quickly I was coined with the name the sneaker guy, the dude that was drawing <laughs> shoes in the, in, the, in, the, in the back of the classroom. Even till this day, like I get messages from just old random classmates that, man, I remember you were just drawing sneakers all day, and we thought, you know, we thought you were crazy. I guess the joke's on us now, like kind of stuff. And, and that's what I did. And, you know, this was before the Internet, before Google or, you know, Yahoo or Facebook or, you know, or any of that stuff. And, you know, even at that time, it was, you know, it was like Google. It was no, it was sorry. It was a, a dial up Internet. Right. I remember we got our first computer like, oh, yeah, a Packard Bell computer. And, you know, you, okay. go, you, you know, you um you love that. You love that noise. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, 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 you know, you're signing to get online and then like, you know, you go make a sandwich and, you know, get a, get something to drink and eat and then come back and you still got like five more minutes before, you know, before you get online. And like, so there, so, you know, that was, it wasn't a thing. So like there wasn't a lot of reference points 
you know, my reference point was East Bay magazine. If you remember East Bay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Get that all the time. I could never afford anything in it, but I would always look at it. And that was my reference point. I still have so many of my drawings from a child. And if you look at them, they all look like East Bay ads. It's like the shoe. And then it was like the, I would come up with the name. I'd make up a price. I'd make up the weight of the shoe. I had no idea what any of this stuff was, but that was the reference that I, that I had. And that was, and that was it. So like, as far as I was concerned, the way you become a shoe designer was you get a job at Foot Locker, right? And like, but which is obviously that is not how you get a job uh, designing shoes. But like yeah. that just I think that just speaks to how how little information, you know, that we have about these types of professions, specifically in the, you know, in the black and Caribbean communities. Right. Like, you know, you want to you want to become, a, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or a designer or whatever. And we don't you know, we don't necessarily have that representation, you know, in our communities to be able to lean into to understand how you do that. So, you know, for me, I got into the space, I like to say, I was in the right place at the right time more than once, you know, as I mentioned, I went to art school, Mm -hmm. Um, my teachers really believed in me, you know, one magical day when I was a a senior, sorry, a junior in in high school, uh, a school from Detroit, Michigan, came on a recruiting trip and they had this program called industrial design. I had no idea what it was called. And they showed their student portfolio and showed their work off. And uh, as they do, when they go to different schools to recruit kids, they're showing like, Oh, how cool they are. And the stuff mm-hmm. that their students do. And there was a shoe in there. It was a Reebok shoe. I'll never forget it. And it caught my attention. You know, I remember my teachers saying that this place is meant for you. I've never been to Detroit, Michigan. It was the first time in my life that I had become interested in college because before that I just thought like, okay, what am I going to do? I didn't have great grades. I wasn't going to, you know, be some rocket scientist or, you know, or anything like that. So I I was trying to figure out what was my what was in the cards for me, what was my future going to be like. So they they encouraged me um, and helped me develop my portfolio, um, improve my grades. You know, I went to summer Mm -hmm. school. Mm-hmm. That summer, I took the classes that I needed to take to get my grades back up. I think I was below like a 2.0 GPA. So like I'm telling you, when I said I was like a horrible student, I was wow. not made great. You know, I wasn't a bad kid. I just wasn't interested in in school, in like the academic stuff. My art classes, I crushed it. Like I would right. bring my report card home and it was A's in anything creative. Like I was, I would kill it. It was the other stuff that that like I wasn't that interested in. And then all of a sudden, when this school presented itself, I was like, wow, like this, this is where I need to go. And, and I focused and I locked in and it was, and it was really the first time that I can recall in my life where like, I made a decision that I wanted to actually like do something and was able to accomplish it. And, you know, I spent the next year and a half improving my grades. I was going to summer school, taking night classes when the regular school year started, you know, I didn't get that free seventh hour period that most seniors get to get when they have one foot out the door of high school. Like I was, I was taking like a, I was making up a freshman class that I failed, you know, when I was a senior, which, you know, was a little embarrassing as a senior to be in there, but I did what I had to do. And I was able to get my GPA back up to that 2.0 to be able to walk across that stage. And I applied into that school and I got in, you know, which was, which was incredible for me. And you know, I packed up, uh, packed up my bags uh, at the end of at, at the fall, the fall following me graduating from high school and moved to Detroit, Michigan, uh, sight unseen. So uh, long winded answer. But that's kind of how this whole thing started yeah. and how right. I got into it. And, and the rest is and the rest is history so far. That's great. That's yeah. fantastic. And, but it, one thing I like about it is that you were able to find what you're passionate about. That's one. And then two. Um, you, there was someone that was in your corner to, to get you to where you wanted to go, at least initially. And so for any kids, you know, or even adults that are watching, it is vital and it's important, you know, to follow your passion. And then also there is that person in your corner, uh, that can get you there. Now you mentioned the fact that there was no really shoe manufacturing companies in the U S which I find fascinating by the way, just because we have so many people that could use jobs but I know you were overseas working, uh, I think, India in a manufacturing um, scenario. So mm-hmm. 
what what is something about the manufacturing business overseas, especially for shoes, that we as Americans don't really understand? Good question. The first thing that comes to mind is that it's hard. You know, making shoes is hard and they don't just fall out of the sky. Right. There's a lot of um, heavy lifting and a lot of infrastructure that's that's involved in it. And, you know, the design, the design is very important, very, very important. But it literally is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, I made I, I started traveling abroad and really spending time in factories very early on in my career in like 05, 06. Um, and that's when I got kind of the first whiff of what this industry is like. I realized very quickly that, oh, I'm not I'm not the man because I can just like sketch a shoe on a piece of paper. You realize there's all these other steps you know, that happened. And I'm not just talking about the production either. I'm talking about the, you know, the logistics, the, uh, the commercialization, the vendor relationships, the factory mm -hmm. relationships, right? Like not every factory can make every style of shoe, right? Not a factory that makes women's heels can't make basketball shoes and a factory that makes basketball shoes can't make football cleats. Right. And, and kind of the list goes on and on. So like, for me, I got to learn very quickly the lay of the land, how this how this supply chain works on a global level. And you learn very quickly that like, you know, in Asia, there's, you know, specific specialties there versus going to South America or even going to, you know, parts of Europe or South Korea or Taiwan. Right. And mm. like, and, and I was very fortunate enough to build relationships in all these different markets. Like I really was on the ground level um, on in the factory level, really kind of understanding this um, from from A to Z. So, you know, I, I, I consider myself more of a, a product engineer or a footwear sort of engineer, but mm -hmm. who has a design a foundation as a designer. Um, and, and, and I take a lot of pride in that because, you know, I put the time in and, and put the work in. So, you know, India was an incredible experience for me right before, you know, my lab, my previous role before starting Factory Lab. You know, I spent about three years in New Delhi um, and I was uh, I was running uh, um, uh, part of a factory for developing and creating new shoe concepts that we were putting out into the market, specifically um, in Asia and the Gulf markets. This this specific brand, it was actually the brand was uh, Lotto, the Italian sportswear brand there. Mm -hmm extremely popular in india believe it or not um and the company that i was working with owned the license for them and they were completely vertically integrated meaning that not only did they own their own factories but they also own their own retail channel so they controlled the distribution from from a to z everything was was funneled through their company so you know if we created something we would put it out in the market into the stores that like we basically owned or that the company um, own. So we, I had, I had full autonomy over, over doing that. So, you know, it's, um, you know, making footwear, like I said, is hard. It's not something that we can, I think, easily do here in the United States from a, um, a production standpoint. I believe that there are certain methods of production and methods of making. What I mean by that is, you know, you have specific categories of types of footwear, whether it's cut and sew or mm -hmm. or knit or vulcanized, right? These are all these are all individual processes that kind of live in buckets on how a shoe is can be made um, right. to achieve a specific aesthetic. And there's probably one or two of them that realistically we can do in the United States. The others are much more difficult and require just way more infrastructure way more not only labor but labor with very specific skill sets mm -hmm. so i think it's possible i think we can get there one day i think we just have to be i think we just have to be honest with ourselves and look in the mirror and be like okay what can we realistically do in this space and focus on that instead of just trying to do everything and not saying that that's what people are doing but i think that's the lens that it has to, has to be looked at if 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 democratizing manufacturing and footwear is ever going to happen realistically. Right. You, um, in the, your bio, you had mentioned that you would be probably be able to cut production or manufacturing about 75%. One, why does it take so long? 
Uh, why does it take like eight to 12 months for a shoe to be actually get to the market? And what is it about your company that's able to reduce that amount? Yeah, good. Two great questions. Um, I'll start by using an analogy. You know, big companies like the big sneaker companies that we're all familiar with, they're like, you know, they're like cruise ships, right? You know, it takes, <laughs> you know, for a cruise ship to make a left turn or to make a right turn takes a really long time, right? Like right, you just right. can't like flip it around, you know, like a speedboat. Like it needs to, it needs to move with grace, needs to move slow because, you know, if it goes too fast or it hits the dock or something, it could be catastrophic. It's the same way these big companies are, right? There's a lot of moving parts on the inside and it just takes a long time to get these products to market. Like it's a, you know, 12 to 18 month mm -hmm. uh, cycle, you know, that, that a lot of them are working on where they're planning out, you know, when they're like right now, like, you know, brands are probably working on fall 24, maybe even, uh, maybe even winter, like, like our spring, summer 25, right. Is like what, mm -hmm. what some of these, uh, some of the, how far out one of these brands, um, are, are, are thinking. Now, the way that we've sped that process up is through the development. Production is production, you know, at the end of the day. It's going to take the time that it needs to produce. But what we can do here in L.A. in our lab is speed up the development um, stage and process. So, again, kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier, when, you know, when you have a new idea and you want to do something very, um, very radical, very different, right? There's a couple of shoes that I have, you know, over my shoulder like you know this thing right the easy knit runner boot you know when you look at this thing it's like what the hell is this this is wild like how it doesn't have laces it's got this weird toe shape thing the bottom <laughs> yeah. is crazy you know all this stuff and in order to be able to come up with something like this you need time and you need and you need the ability to be able to innovate and iterate failing fast when you're creating a product is just as important as coming up with solutions, you know, for the problems that you're trying to solve. The faster you know what is real or what you can accomplish versus what you can't is how you're going to end up coming up with something that you know mm. you're going to be able to get to market quicker, right? So that's what the lab that we have represents. And that's how we impact the speed to market. It's not necessarily the, the end production result. Right, it's right. more about being able to develop something like this that can then be handed off to the factory and say, you see this strap right here? Like, this is exactly what I want. This is how this part is going to be attached to this piece. This is the way this sole is going to look here, right? Like, it's it's about the information that is passed on to the manufacturer because okay. what you're doing now is you're setting the factory up to succeed because they're going to make a lot less ma mistakes, maybe none at all, because they received the information from you to do that. So so that's how we impact the bottom line is by the is by is by getting a great start from the finish line. The same way, you know, Usain Bolt gets that great jump off of a uh, off of a um, you know, off the starting line, you know, on on, you know, a 100 meter dash, right? It's the same okay. thing with us. Like, you know, if we could get a good jump off that starting line, and get and get that product to the finish line we've we've been able to set our factory up successfully and that's oh, okay. how we're able to move move a lot faster so you so i guess what i'm hearing is that you you're able to do design and kind of create the prototypes and test them before they get to the factory and that's what helps to speed up the production is that is that correct exactly okay gotcha gotcha that's um Fascinating. And so then what, with that said, that does, it also sounds like you, you also have the ability to, or opportunity to create more one of a kind sneakers yep. because of that fact too. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that really allows, you know, I, I, I have a saying and it's, you know, true innovation starts at the the factory level. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you can sketch and draw sneakers and or a product, anything, right? Like all day. You say, oh, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to create. And, you know, it looks great. And you create this beautiful rendering. And that's amazing. But the truth is, is you don't really know what you can do until you know what you can do. And what I mean by that is, 
once you get your hands on materials and you start really playing around with the construction of something and how it's going to be built, you know, commercialization is very important. What I mean when I say commercialization, that's how you take a prototype and you develop, you create it into a commercial product that can be worn by the masses, right? There's, there's very specific things that have to happen in that process, whether it's, you know, how you're assembling the sole to the upper and what kind of glue or cement that you're using or how it's being attached, right? Like, like how certain parts of the shoe are being stitched the way the insole is coming together. All these different mm. things impact the commercialization of the shoe and how it's going to fit, you know, around your, around your foot. So it's very important. It's critical actually when you're going from a prototype, you know, to commercializing, uh, commercializing a shoe. Um, so these are just, these are just really, really important details and things that you, you know, that, that you have to keep in mind and also allows us to be, uh, as kind of nimble as we are and as flexible as we are with the, you know, with our space here in LA. And that's, so that's interesting because I, I guess a designer wouldn't necessarily know all of these details. They, they just, they draw something, they think it looks cool, but then they have to test it out. So bingo. Yeah. So let's say I'm a hot, I'm a hot designer and I've got a new, I've heard about the factory lab and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go out to LA and I'm going to show my uh, sketch. And I know Omar, it's going to change the, the industry. So I get to the doors. What would be, what would be the next steps to, to get that shoe to the market? To get and kind of a quick version. So I know it's probably, probably lengthy, but yeah, what, yeah. what would be next after that? Um, understanding what the concept is that you want, you know, listen, I'm used to working with, you know, with, with, you know, my previous, uh, employer, you know, Mr. Mr. West, you know, I, I was used to developing a shoe based on very little information. Right. So like, so whether it's a, whether it's a blob sketch on a napkin with some coffee stains on it, or this beautiful, like tech drawing that like spells out and calls out every little detail and every measurement and highlights everything. Um, I can work with either. Right. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's so for me, it's really about the information that I receive in the beginning. And then that's where my imagination can start to run. And then we can really start thinking about, okay, how, what are the steps that we're going to take in building it? I won't have the answers until I just kind of get it in front of me, um, you know, and, and, okay. and, and know, right. Like what to do. And, and I've worked on so many different projects. So to answer your question, like the way that we collaborate with, with, with creators, whether they're entertainers or brands or emerging designers um, starts there, right. Some are going to come with very like spelled out, very clear instructions on what they want and others are not. And, and the others are going to fall somewhere in the middle and that's fine. Um, it's my process or the process of factory lab where we step in to pick up those pieces, wherever they lay or wherever they fall to continue that, that path forward to eventually create something that hopefully is very unique and very different. Um, and that meets the, um, you know, that meets the requirements of the, of the person that we're working with. Right. Okay. Thank you for that. But was there one design that you thought really was going to really land, but but didn't? And um, and what were some of the reasons why it didn't land like you thought? In general, just like anything that I've worked on. Yeah, just in general. Yeah, it could have been one thing that you were really like this. This is ah, uh, this is the one. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Something that I worked on that maybe didn't quite land or hit the way that, that, that I thought it was going to hit. You know, the one thing that comes to mind, there was a brand that I was involved in um, that, you know, me and my uh, old partner um, uh, created uh, shout out to, to Barry Katz. It was a brand called Ectio. It was a performance footwear brand that was created to prevent, or reduce the amount of ankle sprains that would happen in basketball. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, very interesting. You can look it up. E-K-T-I-O, Ethio Basketball. Um, 
we both created the this technology. It, you know, I'm I'm on the patent uh, for as a utility function that we created for. We basically took, if you're familiar with athletes getting tape jobs or getting yeah, all the time, yeah. right? Fig, we took a classic figure eight tape construction and we converted it into an actual uh, strap system uh, that is built into a basketball shoe. Uh, and we spent almost three years developing that shoe. We spent a ton of money. This was in like, this was early years for me. This was like 2007, 2008, 2009, you know, that we were developing this shoe. Um, you know, we went to China like a bunch of times you know, they brought me on board because they knew I had those relationships. I had those connections um, to do that. And the technology worked. We worked We worked with the Hospital for Special Surgeries in New York City um, with some of their top, like, you know, bio, like their bio, biomechanic scientists and just the, these people that were like way, way smarter than me. Um, and we did all these different robotic tests and different things to prove the theory that we were trying to set out, which was that, you know, this technology can help reduce ankle sprains by a significant amount, which had, you know, which was a big, big problem for. Yeah, that would have been a big, that would have been a game changer for basketball, in, in general. basketball players. Yeah. Yeah. So the shoe, so we put the shoe out on the market and, you know, we got a lot of, uh, there was, a, there was a lot of interest in it. Like if you look it up, you'll see there was, you know, we sold a lot of shoes you know, we did, we did a lot. Like, you know, we were, mar we were marketing with ESPN. We had John Starks and Rick Barry as, uh, as spokespeople for the brand, you know, we were meeting and talking with everybody, but I think, I think, it, I, I don't think the reason why it didn't like land in a big way had anything to do with the design per se. I think it was more, I think it was timing. And I think it was the space that we were in. Basketball is extremely competitive. Mm. And, and, you know, and I mean, basically like Nike owns that space, right? right like right. Nike basically owns the term basketball. And um, so it was, it, it, it wasn't even like we started and our goal was like, we're going to compete with Nike and create the next Nike, you know, it'd be foolish to think of that. It was more like you were competing for eyeballs, attention and loyalty, of of Nike customers, I, I literally can remember. Um, I, I know you're in New Jersey. I remember we were in we were in Jersey. Like we had an opportunity to go to this high school basketball team and show them our shoe, and you know we explained everything and the technology and how it works and and everything. And some kids, and this is when it just really hit me, and I realized it. The vast majority of the kids refused to put the shoe on. They just did not want to take their Nikes off, even though like our shoe was fundamentally better. I mean, wow. I, I remember specifically there was one kid who rolled his ankle like five times in this one shoe and he did not want to take them off and didn't want to put them on. And that's when I was like, it's the loyalty. That's the reason why Nike pays millions of dollars for, I want to be like Mike commercials and you know, this commercial and that commercial and this ad and that ad is because, you know, from a very early age, you know, you're being cultivated as a loyal consumer and it wasn't it. I remember it being it was never more clear to me ever as it was then in that moment that, wow, like this is going to be a lot harder than I thought, because we we have a product that we know that works. We just spent hundreds of thousand dollars proving that. And we're not going to be able to get the kid that like we think that we can get because they just want to keep looking cool in their Nikes, which is fine. So we pivoted and we shifted and started focusing a little bit more on like the weekend warrior type, right? Like the person who has a job, who has a family, who wants to play basketball and do something active on the weekends, but doesn't want to hurt themselves. So they right. can't work on Monday or, or you know, or, or whatnot. So we shifted and we had a lot of success overseas. I remember in Israel and um, the UK, Australia, like we sold a lot of shoes there, but it was very, very difficult very to penetrate. The U.S. market, and and for that reason, I mean, if you had sneakers that would prevent hamstrings, I would have bought them. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a um, great technology. It worked. It sounds you know, interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, feel I feel like the, it, it definitely could work. And you know, we maybe maybe you might see it in a different way in a different form. Right. In the future, you never know. We may bring it back. But yeah, to answer your question, that was something that like didn't land 
the way that we thought it would. Right. But, but I think it was, like I said, I think it was more about just the timing and the market as opposed to just like the, the way that she looked. Okay. Well, yeah. And that's a great, you know, I'm, thank you for telling me that story. That That is fascinating and just does talk about the power of branding and, and things, things of that this nature. Is water, by the way. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Watching. It just looks like a flask. It is yeah. water. I want to kind of move forward to your, just your business as a whole, because, you know, just in doing, you know, looking at your website and, you know, the type of business that you have, I see like a lot of different pathways that could actually change the game of the shoe industry. So I don't know if you see that. And if you do, what portion of that really excites you the most? About what we can change what in, the, in the industry? Yeah. About what you'll be doing. Because there is a there is a couple where, where you could have, let's say, um, you could bring in just those, the, those hotshot designers that just may not get that opportunity. Right. And they can create just such innovative things or just the actual design your main design process being so much faster and then so what what part of that really excites you um there's a few things i think one from from an operations standpoint being able to push the boundary on design and you know and and creation you know our first shoe you know i'll show our you know the night runner that we dropped you know very different you know, unlike anything that people have probably have seen, at least very recently, but very different, right? But, so I'm excited about being able to do things like this, mm. right? Not necessarily like this specific style or the way this looks right now, but the fact that we can even execute something different at this level. Um, that what, That's one thing that excites me about the future. I think another thing that excites me about the future is the way that we are planning to work with creators going forward. You know, we want to be able to help creators build their brands through footwear. You know, footwear has been notoriously, you know, kind of gatekept for a long time um, mm. by the by the big brands. It's been, um, you know, and, and maybe not not necessarily knowingly, just kind of based on like how many moving parts there are to getting in the space. Right. You need to have you know, you need to, one, you need to be in the industry. You need to have overseas connections. You need to have the right connections. You need to know how to develop and design or at least bring the right people in. There's a lot of things that you need, you know, to be able to, um, you know, to be able to, 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 to get into this space, you know, for that reason, it's been a difficult industry for new companies to break into. You see t-shirt companies starting all the time. You even, hell, you even see, you know, tequila brands like starting mm. and right, right. Like that stuff is at least from the outside looking in, I have no idea how it is to start any of those things, but compared to footwear, it feels like it's very much plug and play, but for footwear, that has been a Da Vinci code that has yet to have been cracked yet. Um, and it's the brands that, that, that know, you know, that, that have mastered that for so long. So, you know, to go back to your question about, you know, the other thing that excites me and that's working with, working with creators to help them build their brands, you know, through, through footwear in a way that they wouldn't have been able to before, because maybe they're not a big enough celebrity to like sign a contract with a big brand. You know, I think from an economic standpoint too, as well, you know, we want to look at this very differently as, you know, as opposed to, you know, working with a brand when, you know, a, a big star celebrity works with the brand, you know, they probably get paid some, sum of money, you know, up front a handful of them, and I mean a handful, less than five, like get an actual um, percentage of, of profits that the company makes. Um, so we want to be able to, to flip the script on that and set up more joint venture type of business structures where we can work with these, these individuals and actually give them like uh, like uh, uh, a significant or like they're like a, a real cut of the pie, you know, in this, um, you know, we bring to the table our expertise and the engine that be in factory lab and helping them build these products and take them to market and be able to do it at scale through like a proper launch strategy, whether that's through drops or retail or whatever, right. you know, right. whatever it is that we, that we figure it out. But just by having that opportunity for them, 
to do it is very different than what some of these guys have been offered in the past. And we're not even looking for like, you know, these big mega stars, you know, to work with. I know I've worked with a lot of some of them in the past, but that's not even necessarily what we're looking for right now. You know, people who are kind of on the rise where we can, you know, where we can both lean into each other and we can both be um, sort of help each other build something great is what I'm more uh, interested in. So, yeah. So to answer your question, you know, I'm excited about the innovation that we're that we're doing and how we're going to continue to push the boundaries you know, on design in a, in an aesthetically pleasing way and in a very different way. And then also the way that we, we plan on sort of changing the, the economic structure of how, uh, stars, entertainers and influencers, uh, work with brands. Yeah. I mean, and, and that re really will change the game, especially for designers of color who just someone like, let's say yourself, who, 21 years ago or somewhere in there, you know, had these designs, you know, designed their own, but just had no way of getting it to market. And now they, they have that opportunity because they can come to someone like you and say, Hey, look, look this is a sketch that I have. How can you, how can we make this uh, become reality? So I think, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, eventually we want to get to, you know, helping those who don't have audiences, who, who appear to be or who are very talented and that we can and that we can use our audience we can leverage our audience which we're still building you know right. every day but we can leverage our audience to help them grow we're not there yet um so in turn you know we're working with individuals who have the audience they're missing the piece that they're looking for to kind of help sort of take that take that step so you know right now we're mostly focused on like established or semi-established brands, um, entertainers, whether it's rappers, mm -hmm. musicians, or, right. you know, influencers, artists, right. Who can sort of enhance their, you know, who they are by what we offer and bring to the table. And then eventually, you know, our goal is to be able to use, as I mentioned, our audience or leverage our audience to help bring up the individuals who don't have audience who are looking for that opportunity. Right. So, right. You know, it's, right. it's going to be our way of kind of passing that, passing that down, but we're not, we're not at that uh, yeah. part just yet. Yeah. yeah. Not just yet, but yeah, yeah we're, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So yep. you were able, last year we were able to raise 6 million, uh, which was one of the largest for black owned, uh, a black owned founder back in 2022. So yep. why, why is that so significant? Um, and then what, did the funds really help you to do? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me personally, man, it was just, you know, significant just going through that, going through that process and what that was like, you know, I, I remember, you know, I, man, I, I can't even, I, I was probably in like a, close to a hundred investor meetings with different VCs all over the world um, as we were raising our, our funding. Mm. Um, and, you know, just like I learned a lot in such a very short period of time in terms of how, uh, venture capital works, private equity, raising capital valuations, you know, all those, all those things. And, you know, I, I, I realized like, wow, this, okay, this is why people go to these like fancy Ivy league schools. Cause like they might as well be speaking like Russian to me because they, <laughs> yeah. for my co-founder, Avi, who comes from wall street pedigreed finance background, you know, he, I mean, this is what he does, you know, he, he lives and breathes that space the same way that I live and breathe the space of footwear. So he was obviously like a massive uh, help. And, you know, I think coming together and, and raising that capital, we made a great team, you know, and doing that. So it was significant for me from that perspective, just being an education, man, just like getting exposed to something that not many people of color get exposed to in general, you know, have an opportunity to sit at the table with some of the people mm -hmm. that I was sitting with and really understanding like what, like the, this type of world of venture capital fundraising actually is and what it's all about. And I'm still learning you right. know, this to this day. Um, so that was, that was incredible. And the fact that we were able to raise, you know, the 6 million that we did in a down market. I mean, you know, when you think about, you know, the, what would last year look like from, you know, from June on through the end of the year, 
it was it was tight. It was very difficult for anyone, you know, to raise money and for us, you know, to go out and get oversubscribed. You know, our goal was to raise two to three million and six. We double that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, you know, we were very fortunate and, and blessed to have some incredible investors on on board um, with us who came in and who are highly strategic and bring an incredible amount of value. That was one of those things that I learned, too, as well through that process is that, you know, sometimes not all money is good money. You want to make sure that you take the right money if you mm-hmm. have the opportunity to and right. we're very fortunate enough to be able to take the right money and have what we feel like is an incredible roster of investors who have been able to just bring so much value to us to me far exceeded the the capital that we raised just in terms of you know pricelessness in if if that's a word um for the connections and the relationships that have uh you know that have been that have been brought to us so yeah so that was uh it was it was significant for me from from that perspective great and so you you did show the the night runner shoe yep um which um, someone had asked, is the Night Runner's awesome shoe? So when I first saw it, it was clear. It kind of looks, it basically looks like a car. So yep. tell me a little bit of the backstory behind the design and and how it actually came about. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I grew up, you know, just like any other kid watching TV. And I always gravitated more to shows that were more around engineering and design and, you know, anything that was sort of like fascinating like that. Right. Like, like how things work kind of thing. Okay. Right. And, you know, um, you know, Knight Rider being like a really popular TV show in the eighties um, and still, you know, and I grew up watching the rerun. So like, you know, being inspired by, you know, shows like that and like other, other like automobiles, like futuristic automobiles that were, you know, coming out, you know, at that, at that time, or even thinking about like car shows and like, you know, how exaggerated like the lines are and, you know, sort of, you know, if if you just think about like the eighties and like, you know, they would show, Oh, this is what the future, this is what, you know, flying cars in 2000 and, you know, stuff (laughs) like that. Right. So it's like, so just kind of like thinking, reflecting back on that and like wanting to create something that, that represented that moment um uh for me and that was where that was where the inspiration came from was you know was was from that so um it's really cool to see it actually come through and some people think it looks like a car some say it looks like a boat i'm just excited by it by that in general i don't really care what you think it looks like just the fact that like you know you can even see that and appreciate that is is really cool to me so that's yeah that's where the the concept came from okay and and you were able to i guess you took that you you shoe out to the Super Bowl and all NBA All Star Weekend. Yeah, and uh, what was that experience like? And what sort of a, what kind of sort of feedback did you get from you know these stars that are kind of used to like just the big brands like Nike and you know those things? So what, I think the biggest you- thing was that it was you know that it was just it was different, right? It was a mm-hmm. it was a breath of fresh air, you know, in the in the industry, and you know now that we don't have any more easy at least for the you know time being you know there's a massive hole in the marketplace and i think you know and i think there's a there's an appetite out there for things that are new and different um and this represents that and everything that we're going to be doing forward you know represents that super bowl was incredible because it was really the first stage that we that that we got to really display the product on and you know shout out to uh you know jalen ramsey who's a who's a friend and a, and a client of mine. We've been working on his, uh, his new football cleat. So another, you know, different type of product that we're doing, but, you know, we developed some cleats for him uh, last season and we're working on some new stuff uh, for him to wear this year. And, you know, he was kind enough to invite me to uh, one of his events where I was able to show the shoe off to, you know, a few, a handful of stars and celebrities who Mm -hmm. were there. And then, you know, he came and supported me at my event um, that I had with a hand, along with a handful of other NFL players from, uh, you know, James Connors and and a few others who who were able to to come through and 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 support Jonathan Taylor uh, and some of these other people who you know who've been um, uh, who've been supporter of the the brand myself and 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 what we're doing. So uh, Super Bowl was incredible. 
followed up by all-star weekend, NBA all-star weekend in Salt Lake city. That was also amazing. Um, you know, I would say it was even bigger than Super Bowl in terms of the, uh, platform that we had to showcase what we, what we do, not only as a company, but the products that we were, that we're going to be showcasing on the market and made some incredible connections and, and relationships with, you know, NBA players and, and influencers and, you know, movers and shakers and sort right. of sports and entertainment world. So it was great being able to, you know, being able to do that. I feel like that really kind of helped set up uh, sort of this momentum that we that we have going right now as a as a company. And um, and it's been amazing just seeing all the support and uh, so many people that are excited about the Night Runner. And, and I hope that that uh, they'll be excited about some of these future products that we have coming out very soon. As right. well. And so I did go on your Instagram page and had saw that the night runners were sold out. Yeah. <laughs> so how does actually someone get a, get a hold of the night runner? How do they purchase them? Yeah. So we, so we operate on a drop strategy. So this is, this is kind of like the new way that, okay. that, that products are released into the market, you know, in the past, you know, if you wanted to launch a shoe um, and this is, and this kind of goes back to your other question that you had just about like, like sort of getting into the space or at least I was talking about like getting into the into the footwear space you know 10 20 years ago if you wanted to start a brand or start a shoe company you needed to not only you had to create the design you had to find a factory find a factory that was going to willing to work with you then they were probably going to tell you that you had to order some like ridiculous amount of pair of shoes like you know 20,000 pairs or 10,000 pairs or 15,000 or more which you know for a startup is just not realistic to do that then you need to find a buyer for those shoes you know and at that time it was just like foot locker champs athletes foot you know dick sporting goods you know models if you were right. in the northeast right like that kind yep. of stuff you have to find a buyer for those for those shoes so there's all these things that would have to line up in order for you to do it then at that point it's like it's wholesale so you know you're selling the shoe for actually half of what you know, like what you're going to, what you're going to sell it for. Cause you got to cut them in at a certain percentage in order for it to work. So you're getting chopped down on your side. So that's right. the sale in the way, you know, that it works. So you, you don't end up making as much, you know, as you want, because, you know, in order to make money, you need to be selling like massive, massive amounts. Right. Of right. Absolutely. In order, in order yep. to do that. So what we do now is there's a, dr a drop strategy and what that allows you to do is, we release shoes at a very specific time and date. You know, we were, were, you know, we were fortunate enough to use our network of friends and, and people that we have who have, you know, who have been supporting us and, and wearing our shoes and sharing what their experiences are like with the shoes on online. And that's been really, that's been really just incredible for us. You know, we release our shoes on a specific day, a specific time. Um, we're going to be doing our next drop very soon. Um, you know, our first one, like, as you mentioned, did very well. It sold out. We were very excited by that result. Um, I think it, we proved that you don't have to be this big brand or be working with uh, a big celebrity um, or anything like that in order to sell product. I think just through, you know, through, through some of the things that we did and, you know, being able to go to All-Star Weekend and Super Bowl and things like that really was just incredible for us to kind of to, to have that platform and and sort of use that loudspeaker to let people know that we're here and we're doing things that are different and, and people showed up and showed out for us and we appreciate you know those people um, so that's how you get the pairs right like you you just sign up with us on on sign up on factory lab factorylab.com you put in your email address and you will get uh, notifications to all of our drops all and all things factory related that are going to be coming out in the future well that's great I, i'm definitely gonna have to get on you know and get one of those get one of those night runners um yeah. <laughs> because i'll be the envy of all my all my son's friends oh we so got you go. we're gonna we're gonna, <laughs> gonna we're gonna we're gonna we'll send you a pair we got yeah. you yeah um so omar i just this is was truly great i'm really feel a lot more educated as far as shoes i mean i i'm a, a shoe guy but you know mm -hmm. and so i'm really glad that you're here today and hopefully folks that are watching we've had a lot of people on today we've got definitely some comments and so 
you know, check your email. You may get a whole you get a whole slew of folks. Uh, <laughs> so um, I welcome all of it, please. So yeah, follow us. One of the things is it's a kind of surprise, um, but I always like to end our show on, with this question because as a black man, uh, you, you also have a family, you have a wife and a family. We're always pushing to try to do the next thing or to make sure our families are secure, our friends, you know, loved ones that, that and some of the times we don't necessarily uh, take care of ourselves. So I always like to ask this question, how are you feeling uh, in, in the world, you know, as a black man right now? Good question. Slightly heavy question. You know, I feel good in terms of where I'm at individually. You know, I feel that like a lot of the, a lot, you know, I've, I've been at this for 21 years, you know, and man, I've, you know, I've lived in my office. I've, you know, slept on floors. I've, you know, taken bird baths in bathrooms that don't have showers. If I was even able to do that, you know, I've, I've, I've had quite the journey along the way to get to where I'm at right now. By no means was it pretty. It was very, it was, it was very hard. It was ugly, you know, in some, some cases, but I think the passion and the love for, for what I've had, for what I've been doing. And it's all I know is what got me through you know the tough times so i'm so as an individual i'm very proud of myself that i didn't necessarily break in those moments because they were they were there it happened you know there were a lot of moments that could have broken me and i decided that i made the decision that i wanted to you know that i wanted to break through those barriers and not allow those you know to hold me back i didn't want to be subjected to what I thought the, like what other people may think were the cards that were dealt for me. So as an individual, I feel good. You know, I think as a community of black men, I think there's obviously so much that that needs to be done. I don't even know where you start um, in that. But, you know, I think, you know, I, I think through 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 hope and 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 optimism but I think most importantly, doing the work is is how we make, you know, improvements and how we become better um, as as people. Yes, there are going to be things that are going to be there that are going to hold you back and um, or that if you allow them to hold you back and they're just obstacles. Right. Like, you know, what doesn't kill you can make you stronger. Um, and there's truth to that. So I think if you know, I think I think just by, you know, by putting in the work, and you know and just just being hyper focused on what it is that you're trying to accomplish and you know hopefully you can help some people along the way in doing that i think the future can be bright for all of us collectively you know and and not being afraid to ask for help you know it's it's you know i like you know a, a man's pride is a man's pride at the end of the day and trust me i suffer from it too as well but you know being vulnerable and being able to um, to ask for help, you know, in those times of need or just having someone to talk to and, and share thoughts, you know, my good buddies from college, you know, we've, you know, we, we, we've all been very supportive of each other. And I noticed like, as we get older, you know, we've, you know, we're having conversations with each other that we've never had, you know, before going back to like our college days. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. So, you know, I think the future is bright. I just think, like I said, we have to put the work in, um, you know, try not to make any excuses because trust me there are a lot of them out there that that can be made and rightfully so you know i'm not judging anybody at all um but i think as a collective you know that's what we can you know focus right. on right well one of the things reasons why i do this show is for individuals like yourself this is just extraordinary that there is someone that had the i don't know the foresight or the vision or just through hard work is changing the game of the shoe industry and it's a brother. So I'm really appreciative um, for you coming on today um, and I hope you have a great day. Awesome, thank you, Keith. Thank you for having me and uh, yeah, look forward to doing it again, hopefully. All right, thank you. All right. So it's truly an educational moment for me 
I like the fact that Omar didn't rest on his laurels. He was willing to stretch and expand his skills and knowledge, not just for himself, but for others. I'll be checking my email for the next shoe drop from Factory Lab. And hopefully you will too. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can check out previous episodes like Paul C. Brunson's Conversation on Relationships or Why Every Brother Needs a Neighborhood Barber wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You always end the show with a quote, and today you get a two-for-one from our guest today, Omar Bailey. And they are as follows. When it comes to shoe design, true innovation starts and ends at the factory. And you don't know what you can do until you know what you can do. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.